0: It's been called many things, mass hysteria, satanic panic. Hear the words witch hunt, and your mind immediately goes to the Salem witch trials. We've all heard the stories, and just hearing mention of the town of Salem brings to mind images of townspeople accusing women of witchcraft, of trials that don't deserve the title, of villagers burning witches at the stake. But most of what we've heard and what continues to be understood is in fact just that, stories. The majority of what you know about the Salem witch trials is probably inaccurate. And what about witch hunts that took place outside Massachusetts, outside America? The classic period of witch hunts took place about 1450 to 1750, when an estimated 40 to 50,000 executions took place in Europe and America. By those searching for witches and evidence of witchcraft, new numbers estimate up to 80,000. But did you know that only 20 of these deaths took place in Massachusetts? And that there are contemporary witch hunts still happening today in areas of Africa and Asia? Get uncomfortable, friends, because today we're discussing classical witch hunts. Greetings. You have wondered upon Broomstave Witchery, a podcast that explores all things pagan. My name is Sabern Whitethorn, and I'll be your guide. So grab yourself some tea and come talk a spell with me. We are the granddaughters of the witches they couldn't burn. I've seen this quote in memes on Instagram, in cross-stitch art on Etsy. It's meant to be a statement of empowerment. Stand up, be strong, be proud of who we are. (sighs) That doesn't make me like it. In fact, I personally find this statement to be a slap in the face to the history of, and those who suffered or died from, actual witch hunts. Which hysteria can be traced back to the bible whether you believe the verse in exodus 22:18 was literally translated to mean thou shalt not suffer a witch to live or prefer the original greek version of thou shalt not suffer a poisoner to live you might as well be pulling a straw out one side of a hole instead of the other the poisoners they're referring to are herbalists and there are other areas of the bible such as leviticus 20:27 20, a man or woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. Or another passage, Deuteronomy 18.9, which states, There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or daughter pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or who is a soothsayer, enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. It goes on to state that their Lord would drive these people from the land. What does this sound like to you? Labeling those who practice herbalism and divination as evil and driving them from the land? Sounds a lot like a witch hunt to me. In fact, this Bible verse, misinterpreted or not, has been used to ostracize, cast blame on, and even sentence people to death. This is a fact you cannot argue as it was recorded as such during many witch trials. And let's get Salem out of our heads for a while, and realize that these witch hunts were happening hundreds of years before Salem, all around the world. In France and Switzerland, from 1428 to 1447, at least 367 men and women were killed during the Valais, France, and Villis, Germany trials, Investigations were demanded of any accused witches and sorcerers. Their rule? If any person was accused of witchcraft three times, they were arrested. But once arrested, there was no way out. If you confessed, you were burned to death. If you didn't confess right away, you were tortured until you did confess. In 1486, a Catholic clergyman by the name of Heinrich Kramer wrote a book on witchcraft called Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of the Witches, a published work of literature that recommended torture as an effective means to extract confessions from those accused, and suggested that death was the only remedy against the evils of witchcraft. This book would be used by courts for centuries as a handbook to legitimize brutal torturing and executions of those accused of witchcraft. In Germany, from 1581 to 1593, we see one of the largest witch trials in European history. When the newly appointed archbishop ordered a purge of nonconformists, 368 people were burned alive. Almost all of them confessed under torture. The reason for all this? Politics. According to records, about a third of those victims held positions in government or local administration, from judges to priests. They were tortured and burned alive to show the new archbishop's loyalty to the Jesuits, another great religious leader for the history books. A two-year period from 1590 to 1592 finds us in North Berwick, Scotland, where 70 people were accused of witchcraft after King James VI was held up in Norway for two weeks due to a coastal storm on his way to marry his princess in Denmark. The storm was blamed on, you guessed it, witchcraft. The king actually wrote a book that encouraged witch hunting, and the first victim of these hunts? An accused woman named Gilly Duncan, and her crime? Using healing cures. She confessed, after prolonged torture, of having contact with the devil, and was then burned to death. While this was the first of the trials in Scotland, others followed, with an estimated total of three to four thousand executions. In 1603 to 1606, we return to Germany, where the Prince Abbot of the Fulda Monastery decided to purge the city of improper things, Approximately 250 people were put to death with these trials. The first burned to death was a pregnant woman who confessed to witchcraft after, wait for it, being tortured. These investigations ended after the Prince Abbot's death in 1606. In Pendle, England, from 1612 to 1634, the Justice of the Peace, Roger Nowell, was tasked with investigating claims of witchcraft, requiring anyone who refused to attend church or take communion to be reported. Twelve people were accused of witchcraft. One died in prison. Eleven were tried. Ten were convicted and hanged. One person was found not guilty. This was the largest witchcraft trial in England, a 2% ratio of the fewer than 500 deaths that resulted from the early 15th to 18th centuries in England but we must still give England credit for 500 witch-hunt deaths over the course of history. Not too shabby, England. The largest witch trial in Swedish history took place in 1674, when 71 accused witches, 65 of which were female, one-fifth of all the women in the region of Tusaka were beheaded and burned in a single day. And how were these witches identified? A minister instructed two young boys to stand at the doors of his church and identify witches by the invisible devil's mark on their foreheads as they entered. The accused were said to have abducted children to take to witches' sabbaths. Testimonies were received from the children by means of whipping, forced bathing in frozen lakes, or by threatening to burn them in ovens. Who needs a witch to lure a child into a gingerbread house to bake them in an oven when you can just threaten to bake them if they don't point out a witch? Any witch. If you're keeping tabs, Broomies, this brings our death toll up to approximately five to 6,000 of the fifty to 80,000 deaths estimated of innocent people tortured into confessing to something they did not do and either being burned, hanged, beheaded and burned between 1428 and 1606. According to historians, 80% of those executed were women, some of which were convicted after they themselves accused men of witchcraft. This brings us to the end of the 1600s and finally to America, but not in Salem, friends, not yet. Thirty years before the events in Salem, we find ourselves in Connecticut for the witch trials of 1647 to 1663. In total, there were 37 trials, 11 of which ended with execution, the first of these executions being Alice Young in 1647. She's thought to be the first executed in all of the American colonies, only because she's the first recorded execution. We must also remember that in the case of most of these witch trials, there is little to no records remaining if they ever existed in the first place. There are no records on Young's trial, however, and it's important to note that an influenza epidemic occurred through New England during the time of her trial, so it was very likely that the influenza caused the accusations against her. She was also thought to be targeted due to her eligibility for inheriting property. The Connecticut Trials ended in 1670 with the return of the governor of the Connecticut colony, John Winthrop Jr. He was known as the adjudicator of witchcraft cases. He was the son of the governor of Massachusetts and had firsthand knowledge of natural magical practices associated with alchemy. He'd watched two major influencers of alchemy be falsely accused and executed due to witch hysteria and he made it a point to involve himself in cases of witchcraft to ensure that those accused were not executed. He insisted that accusations must be made by multiple people simultaneously in order to stand up in court, which of course slowed down the accusations immensely, as it was no longer as simple as pointing a finger in blame. In May of 1670, Catherine Harrison, the last woman tried for witchcraft in Connecticut, was convicted and banished from Connecticut but not executed. Eighteen years later, in 1688, a 13-year-old girl named Martha Goodwin in Salem Village, Massachusetts, started acting oddly after an argument with Laundress Goody Glover. Her brother and two sisters started showing the same odd behavior a few days later, and Glover is arrested and tried for bewitching the Goodwin children. Reverend Cotton Mather met with Goody twice after her arrest to try to persuade her to repent her witchcraft. She is hanged. Years later, in 1692, 11-year-old Abigail Williams and 9-year-old Elizabeth Parris began behaving oddly, the way the Goodwin children had four years previously. Soon, other girls in Salem began acting oddly as well. A month later, the town doctor declares that witchcraft may be the cause of all the strange behavior. After being pressured by ministers and townsfolk, nine-year-old Elizabeth points the finger at three women. Thus begins the Salem witch trials. It was neighbor against neighbor, husband against wife, fingers pointed to avoid being pointed at. It should also be noted that the witch trials did not happen in modern-day Salem, They happened in Salem Village, which changed its name to Danvers about 90 years later to avoid being taxed with Salem Town, which is now Salem, Massachusetts. In the end, 19 women and men were hanged, and one man was pressed to death. That's 20 executed. It should also be noted that two other women and one man died in prison awaiting trials, one of which gave birth to a baby in prison who sadly died. Another woman, who was found not guilty, was not released from prison until payment of her court fees could be settled, and also died in prison. This brings the death toll up to 25. There were also nine known villagers who were accused of witchcraft and escaped or fled before being brought to trial. Probably wise. I'd like to take a few minutes to break down this meme, friends. We are the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. Were there people burned to death due to witch hunts? Yes. Were any of these people witches? Well, how would we know? As you heard me discuss in last week's episode, a witch is simply a person who practices witchcraft, and witchcraft is the use of energy to make change. Were any of these people who burned actually witches? It's a possibility But the majority of the people accused of witchcraft and executed around the world were not witches. They were elderly women, townsfolk with mental illnesses or ailments. If you wanted your neighbor's land, witch. If they looked at your husband in a way you didn't like, witch. If you got in an argument over money owed, witch. Political differences? Jealousy? Mary Beth Jo didn't attend church on the day of your bake sale and it upset your Puritan sensibilities? Witch! 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 So are you the granddaughter of a witch they couldn't burn? Well, are you the granddaughter of an actual witch? Are you the granddaughter of an actual witch who wasn't burned for some reason during the classical witch hunts? If so, your witch ancestor who escaped burning was not from Salem, or in fact from the U.S., Because there's no record of anyone in America being burned for witchcraft. There are records of hangings, stonings, being drowned or pressed to death or rotting in jail. But no burnings. Listen, I understand this meme is meant to empower. It's meant to shed light on a tragic part of our history. One tragic part of many tragic parts of our history. But it's also feeding a fire of mistruth. It's throwing sparks on an already misunderstood part of our history, and in doing so, it's a slap in the face to the real memories of these real people and their real descendants. Descendants who have been insulted when their ancestors were pardoned from their crimes of witchcraft 20 or more years after being hanged or murdered for no reason. It would be more fitting to say, we're the granddaughters of innocent Salem villagers who were not hanged. There is another meme out there which does bring to mind a decent point. Who knows why we were taught to fear the witches and not those who burned them alive? While again inaccurate in the context that we don't know if any of these women burned alive were actually witches, although statistics say that out of upwards of 80,000 people executed, at least one of them was bound to practice witchcraft, this meme does ask a good question. What kind of person, what kind of human being does it take to burn someone alive? Stop for a moment and think about that. What kind of person can burn another human being alive? Or press them to death? Or torture them to death? But it's the witches we should fear? The town's midwife, who uses herbal remedies to ease the pain of childbirth, the elderly woman whose folk tradition seems strange to you. How about Gilly Duncan in Scotland, who was executed for the crime of using healing cures? Prolonged torture and burn to death for healing cures. Yes, burn the woman who heals. And we should also fear her, but not the people who burned her. Logic. All of these things bring to mind a new question, the bigger question. What happened after the witch trials? What happened to all the people who burned, hanged, pressed, and drowned innocent people to death? What happened to these murderers and accusers of the innocent? Well, most of them blamed the trickery of Satan for their actions, and although the people they accused were said to have been tricked by Satan and were executed, The accusers' and murderers' crimes are forgiven. And they, mostly, went on to lead normal lives and have babies who got to lead normal lives and so on and so forth. In fact, odds are higher that we're the granddaughters of the women who accused people of being witches. Where's the meme for that? There were also jurors and townspeople who cleared their conscience by stating that the victims did actually confess to witchcraft. Yeah, after prolonged torture. I think any human would confess to just about anything if it meant not being tortured. These people knew they were going to die anyway. Personally, I'd rather be hanged and get it over with than be prolongedly tortured. So, sure, they confessed. If they didn't confess, they were put through a series of witch tests. Witch tests? what did those look like? Some were simple. Recite the Lord's Prayer, because witches, according to medieval wisdom, were unable to speak scripture out loud. Oh, you're nervous because you know your life is on the line or you have a speech impediment? Witch! Oh, you were able to actually say it all the way through without mistakes? That's just a trick of Satan. Hang the witch! Witch! This, by the way, was a documented case in Salem. George Burroughs flawlessly recited the prayer from the gallows before he was hanged, and it was dismissed as a devil's trick, and he was murdered anyway. Another common witch test was to be dragged to a lake or river, stripped and bound, and tossed or submerged into the water to see if you would sink or float. As water will reject the body of a witch because witches spurned the sacrament of baptism, an innocent person would sink, but a witch would float. So if you died, I guess you were innocent after all. And if you didn't die in the water, you'd be hanged for witchcraft. Touch tests indicated that if a witch touched someone who was bewitched and that person didn't react, they were innocent. But if the person came out of their fit, it was seen as proof that the suspect had, in fact, bewitched them. A documented case of this happened in England in 1662, when two elderly women were accused of bewitching two young girls. The girls suffered from fits where they would clench their fists and no one was able to pry their fingers open. The two accused women were to touch the girls to see if they unclinched their fists, which would then prove the women had bewitched the girls. Judges even had the children blindfolded, and they were touched by other members of the court first to prove they were not faking. And even though the girls did unclench their fists when members of the court touched them, suggesting they were indeed faking it, this was not enough to save the two women from being hanged as witches. Witches' marks Being stripped and publicly examined for blemishes that witches were said to receive from Satan was a common practice. This devil's mark could change shape and color, so could really be anything, and was said to be numb to pain, So if you had a mole, scar, birthmark, or sore, you might be a witch. Oh, and if you were terrified of that mole being seen as a devil's mark and decided to cut it off, that would also be labeled as proof that you were in lieu with a devil. Oh, and if you didn't have a mark, you'd be pricked with needles or scratched repeatedly to try to find a numb spot on your body where an invisible devil's mark might be. And professional prickers were paid good money to poke people with fake, dull needles to prove an area of your body was numb, and therefore, you were a witch. After the trials, for the most part, families who lost property and loved ones were expected to just go on with their lives like nothing ever happened. And it would take several years for them to even regain social standing in many cases. Judges blamed other judges, and the community at whole blamed Satan for tricking them It was Satan? Oh, yes, all is forgiven. Damn that cloven trickster for making us kill innocent people. In 1697, twelve jurors signed a petition admitting they had convicted and condemned people to death, based on insufficient evidence. They made this admittance because they were concerned that God might be punishing them for what they'd done, but no legal action was taken against them. Formal apologies many years later by a few of the main accusers, no legal action taken. Formal apologies by the town itself were made after the 1700s. Can you imagine? We're sorry that we crushed your grandfather to death slowly over a three day period, but someone pointed a finger at him, and surely you can understand our predicament. Satan, that silly sultan of sinners, totally forced us to forgive us. Accusations of witchcraft didn't end here, or at all, in fact. Modern-day witch hunts are still practiced in the world today, in India, Papua New Guinea, Amazonia, and Sub-Saharan Africa, to name a few places, and the body counts much higher than the classical witch hunts. In India alone, 768 women have been murdered for allegedly practicing witchcraft since 2008. In Indonesia, about 400 killings since 1998. In Brazil, in 2017, a philosopher named Judith Butler was burned as a witch while protesting gender identity. And in Cameroon, Ghana, and Brazil, a reported 40,000 children have been orphaned due to witch hunts. Before we part ways... I'd like to give a small shout-out to various pagan accounts on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok that I find educational or entertaining. Etsy are online shops that are pagan-based, websites, books, products, and physical stores that are pagan-written, crafted, owned, and operated. This week, I'd like to shine my pagan spotlight on the Salem Witch Museum, which dedicates themselves to telling the stories of the innocent victims of the Salem Witch Trials. You can visit their website at www.salemwitchmuseum.com or visit them on Washington Square North in Salem, Massachusetts. I will link their website and Instagram in the podcast description. Okay, so that was the most awful thing to spend a week researching and reading about. And I need about a million hugs. Thank you for conjuring up some time to spend with me today. And until next time, Broomies, remember, don't drink and fly.